2: Friends, hi! We've got a great
1: show for you today. First up, we are talking to Caitlin Meister Greer, mom of two, educator, author, speaker, businesswoman. She is just gonna Carrie's friend, my friend. That's right. Should I have started with that one? Should I have come in hot? Ah, I mean, we've both done it. I I feel like we always bury that lead. She's just a wealth of knowledge about educating your kids and like advocating for your kids. We're going to talk to her a little bit
2: about that, and then we are going to talk. About a woman who refused to donate her PTO days to a pregnant co worker. Are we good with that? Was she selfish? So many different things I to have talk so about. so many here. feelings. Yeah, I have a lot of feelings too.
1: <laughs> and as always, we have our hashtag swag bag, but up next, take it away, child of ours.
2: Tits and shits. All right. Why don't you start with your tits and shits?
1: Okay. My tits are Lee and I are back in a good place. Well, that's good. Look, it's so weird. We were really in a good place for a long time. And we. Had like a real rough two-week patch where I was like, oh, shit, here we go again. We're back in the ditch. And then we came out of that ditch easier and quicker than we normally do, which I think Yeah, means, I mean, it only lasted two weeks. Which I think it means therapy is working, is yeah. what I think it means. Because, you know, as therapists say, you can't expect it to be like perfect all the time. That's not realistic. But I know just from my, my personal mental health journey, not even with Lee, that it's if I can navigate going in and out of the dips quicker and right. like less time, I spend less time in the lows and can navigate in and out. Then that means that I'm doing better. So yeah. I really feel like Lee and I that that bad patch was not great, but <laughs> the fact that we got out of it in an easier way and we didn't stay in it as long makes me really proud of us. You know, I don't know. This is just going to be a combined tits and shits. You know, being a somewhat single girl. Granted, I had some long term relationships. One was like a long-term, long-distance relationship couple were two or three years with the person, you know, in person. But Mm -hmm. on a whole, I was pretty much a single girl for, like, most of my life. And I was raised with a mom, a single mom. And so trying to figure out how to do coupling was very hard for me. I've discussed it on the show before. I just don't know what it looks like, you know? Right. And so I'm really proud of us because... Being in a couple is not, doesn't come naturally to me. And I don't really think it comes naturally to Lee either. Yeah. We're two people who do really well single. And so and you know what I mean like not you know just right it's very foreign to you both right and so it's not we want it to be coupled but we're having to really learn how to do it after so many years of being by ourselves I'm really proud of us and you know of course duh
2: then Luna does better obviously I mean yeah it's hard to not see how those things go hand in hand
1: so my tits and my shits are just that we're having to learn how to navigate every day but we're getting better at sailing the rough seas I guess is is the answer. And yeah. that's the tits and the shits is that it takes work, but you know,
2: we're we're doing better at the work. That's good. Um God you know, what are my tits and my shits? I I don't even fucking know, man. I, I feel like your hair and skin look next level
1: gorgeous. I just thought I'd share.
2: Oh, my hair? Yeah, your hair looks full and thick and your skin looks gorgeous. Thank you. Well I've been working very hard on my skin because I had that mm-hmm. I, I don't know that it was an allergic reaction, but like it was so bad. I have been so diligent about my skin. Also I haven't been smoking so my skin went through a purging period and like is just being better now. Right. And my hair is like a week and a half without washing and at this no, point. No but I'm- it's
1: because you got it cut and colored and I haven't seen you and so it's in it's like. It's so gross. It, it like smells. I'm supposed to have my hair cut for a live show tomorrow and it's gonna snow and I bet you they're gonna cancel
2: on me. I've never had a haircut cancel ever ever. I think they're probably canceled but anyway. Where is it in the city? I can walk to it from my house. Oh you're fine. You're gonna be fine. I guess my my tits are, you know, we're recording this before the live show. So I guess this is all rolled up together. I'm very excited for our live show and um, my mom is coming, which is really nice and exciting for me. Because I thought she wasn't going to. Yeah, she didn't think she was going to be able to, but she and Matt are both going to be there, so I'm very excited. I think it's going to be really nice. I mean, there's nerves about things, like, there's something kind of scary about for me at least. I'm sure Carrie doesn't feel this way. There's something very scary about, like, talking. It feels like we talk in, like, a white room. Yeah. Like, almost like an asylum. You know? <laughs> just, just to each other where we can so freely talk about pooping and sex. And so I get nervous, too. Yeah. Issues being, you know, like, insecurities in our parenting and stuff like that. So to then kind of bring that to a group. One of the things I pride myself on is I am who I am and I am that person in front of everybody. Yeah. But it is still very scary to be so vulnerable and like exposed and, and actually see the people. Because like all for all these years, for the four years we've been doing this, we could kind of pretend nobody is listening. I mean, I used to get nervous for the live show. Yeah, absolutely. So, but this is going to be like actually seeing faces. Live, nude girls. Well, not nude, but. And maybe. Let's see how the <laughs> night goes. There is alcohol. Um, Yeah, I, I think it'll be really fun and I'm just very excited. Oh, I guess I have another tit and I haven't had tits in a while I feel like my other tit is I now have like two trips on my calendar which I where you didn't tell me this biash this just happened (laughs) this is just Matt's stuff that I'm gonna be coming along for I'm gonna go to LA at the beginning of March I haven't even told my LA friends it literally got booked today for a few days and then I think we're going to Prague in April Matt has like a work thing and I will probably be on my own for most of it but when else do I get to go to Prague so I'm gonna go Walk around and see Prague. I think it's not confirmed yet. It'll be really fun. I'm excited and like every time my mom has felt stagnant in life or like down, she books a trip. Travel, yeah. And she's right. It's a thing to look forward to, and it really like can lift your spirits. And there's nothing quite like feeling like nothing's working out for me. Like a trip and being like, you know what? My life affords me to be able to go somewhere for a few days. It's good to see a different perspective. Absolutely, best things you. Could do is
1: to teach, I think, your kids and yourself that there are other ways of living.
2: Yep. And that's my favorite part about traveling is like experiencing other cultures. And sometimes you go somewhere and you're like, this culture, not for me. Like Nova right. Scotia, that is not a place for me. If I did my astrocartology in Nova Scotia, I would be willing to bet. You went there years ago, like in high school, I was okay. in, I went to Nova Scotia and it was just a very bizarre, like, it, its vibe and my vibe were repelling. Magnets. I've had a couple cities like that myself. Right. Like, there are places where you're just like, ooh, no, this one does not, we don't jive. Sort of like me in Florida. Yep. And I was born there, and I feel that way. <laughs> so <laughs> I get it, you know? Uh, and it could end up being that. But isn't that part of the fun is, is like, being worldly and experiencing how other people live their lives on a daily basis? I think that's so fun and so, like, it helps us develop as human beings. Anyway, so that's, I'm excited about both those things. Yay! So I have tits again! Woo <laughs> woo! I'm so happy. All right, shall we move on? Kaylin Greer Meister is a
1: specialist in strength-based and neurodiversity-affirming learning, a parent educator, and a mom of two. She provides parents the tools they need to raise confident, capable kids. Her work and words have been featured in the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, New York Magazine, and Parents. And she is also the founder of Joyful Learning, a New York City-based private tutoring and educational consulting practice dedicated to making learning more joyful for all learners. She's also my friend. Hi, it's so good to see you. It is really good to see you and I wish it were in real life world. <laughs> I know, me too. Okay, so let's start. So because I know about you, but everyone else doesn't know about you. So let's let's share the wealth. So tell us about what made you start joyfully learning your company. So imagine hearing these words, we don't know how
0: to help your child. That was me as a first time mom. And I grew up thinking that I knew how to do education because I knew how to get stickers on my reading logs and A's on my report cards and like my pencil never straight out of the little bubbles on my standardized test sheets and then I became a mom for the first time and I had this amazing kid and the way that he learns doesn't fit into other people's bubbles standardized as bubbles right so when all of the so-called experts are looking at you and saying we don't know how to help you and you realize that you have to create this for your own child what do you do right it wasn't easy it was a ton of trial and error right it was a ton of talking to anybody who would talk to me reading every book I can get my hands on watching him play seeing what caused him to light up inside and what I I realized was that the more I trusted my instinct, the more he thrived. And then I was having all these conversations with other moms and I realized that what I could do for my son, I could do for these other families. I could help other moms figure out how their kids learn best. And that was when it became this super amazing, like so much bigger than just my son moment. And I realized it was basically like <laughs> this gift I can give to other mothers, right? And and other than raising my own children, it's the most fulfilling thing I've ever done. So in the early years, I was sort of what you'd think was like plain vanilla tutoring, right? Like how I grew up with education, right? Oh, this is how we get our stickers on our reading logs. And then I became a mom almost 10 years ago, and it changed
1: absolutely everything that I do. So you were tutoring prior to having kids?
0: Yeah, for a few years. So I <laughs> I feel like working with kids has just always clearly been my calling in life. I mean, I think the first time I started Mother's Helpering, I was like 11 years old myself. So yeah. I had been working with kids and families and education in a variety of different capacities before starting my private practice. And then I was working as a private tutor for a year or two before I had my son. But I was very rooted in this idea of like, well, this is how we've always done it, it being education, right? Like, this is how we've always done it. And this is how it was when I was a kid. And like very much focused on performing your learning, right? For lack of a better way of putting it, you know? And and then I had him and it would it just change absolutely everything for me. And that's what led me to the strengths-based uh, and neurodiversity affirming model that, that I'm in now.
2: What are the spread of your kids? How old are they? I have a five-year-old and a nine-year-old. It's no wonder that you two are friends. You're very similar in uh, your paths. So what is your, what would you say is your biggest takeaway from your work about what it is that kids need? specifically in learning and, you know, learning in a way that suits each individual child best?
0: Yeah, so the short answer is the strengths-based approach, but what does that mean, right? What am I talking about when I say that? So a strengths-based approach to learning means we begin a relationship with a child by identifying their strengths and then showing them how to use those strengths to grow in other areas where they need to or want to grow. So it is, in essence, the opposite of a deficits-based approach, which would sound something like, here are all the ways you're failing to meet my my expectations and now I have to help you catch up, right? Now, if I say those two things to you, which gets you more engaged in learning with me, right? We go, well, that's a no-brainer, right? right. And yet, strength based is not what's happening in a lot of our learning spaces.
1: Yeah, it makes them feel good about themselves. So then they come from a place of not feeling defeated or like, my daughter's like, I don't want extra help. Well, if you make it more about you're getting praised and positive feedback from something that they're good at, then it doesn't feel like they're being penalized for having to do additional, you know, work with someone.
0: And we see it in our everyday lives too. I mean, my focus is on learning and education, but I use a strengths-based approach with my own kids at home for something like cleaning up a big mess. You know, we had a situation the other day where my kids had dumped out this game that had a thousand tiny little pieces. And in order to put it back in a way that it was fun to play next time, they all had to be sorted and it was, it was a big job, right? And they're feeling overwhelmed. What do we do? How do we do this? Right? So I lean into their strengths. My older son, when he feels overwhelmed, he very much likes to feel in control again. Right? And so I said to him, like, you're going to be our cleanup manager. You tell us, clean up everything blue first or clean up everything metal first or whatever. My little one, his strength is he was very, he loves physical contact. Like he's a cuddler. He wants to be doing this phys- So I said, come sit in my lap and let's clean everything that you can reach from my lap, right? So this is an example. That's a strengths-based approach and it's just something as simple as cleaning up your toys. I
2: think this is one of those things that I hear someone like you say that. I talk to my mom and she'll have pointers on things I can do better with parenting. And this is where I personally feel like I'm lacking as a parent. Yeah, I realize what my son's strengths Are But in that moment, I don't necessarily come from a place of let's work with what your strengths are. So I guess, do you have tips for parents in terms of like being better prepared for a situation like that? So I think it
0: depends on what you are coming to it from. So we are all human beings and we all get triggered or frustrated or dysregulated or like have those moments where like if you just get in the car, I will give you a cookie. Right. We're all human
2: beings. Right. And we all have shit going on and stuff. So I don't mean to make the
0: picture like every time my kids have conflict or have something that's challenging that I come in with like the perfect, here's your strength and we're going to use it. But when you can do that, I think it's when you're able to come to the situation from a position of your own regulation and your own confidence and capability, you're not necessarily going to be able to pick up on it in that moment if you haven't thought about it ahead of time. So these strengths I named for my kids, these are not things that I just went like in that moment, hey, you really like to be in control when you feel overwhelmed. That's something that I have identified about him and thought about in my own mind, how we can use that as a strength for him to build on in times when I'm calm. So just like our kids, right? When your kid is having a super stress moment or a high anxiety moment or meltdown or whatever else, that is not a moment when he or she or they are open to learning. That's not a teachable moment because we're in freak out mode in one way or another. So that's why we say like, oh, don't focus on teaching whatever the missing skill is then, wait till we're in a calmer moment, right? Like put a pin in the missing skill and when you're in a calmer moment, then you're gonna teach it. So it's kind of a similar idea for ourselves as parents. When we're in those calmer moments when we can be observing them at play or in learning or whatever else it is, just making note like, oh, I'm noticing like this is really something that she's strong at or she feels really good when she's doing this certain thing. And then I just keep it in my back of my mind so that when I do hit a moment of challenge, I can go, hey, remember that thing I thought of? Let me try bringing that in now.
1: I have to say that for me, I get like overwhelmed so easily just as a person. Yep. Add into that a child that also gets overwhelmed really easily. And then the two of us are just like hot mess express together. Guess what? I made her. So of course you. She- is a little bit like me. Since we've started doing things like just all sorts of things, PT, OT, for all these other things that she needs, and they start to say, they start to give me like the assessment of what would help for whatever reason, and I guess this is just how life is, someone else telling me, oh, hey, these are the things you should do. Now, I'm studying education, and I know that those are the things to do. They just haven't been pers- like specifically prescribed to my child for me, to me, through you know, for her. And so now... In my everyday life, since someone told me to do it, then I am now finding more opportunities to parent in that way, which I don't, I don't know if I would have been able, even though I tell other people to do it, I don't know until someone told me to do it, if I would think of it in everyday life, which ain't that how it goes. <laughs>
0: and also it's a practice, right? Like so many other things. So it's going to be harder when you start out and the more you do it, the easier it's going to become. So I think we have to give ourselves a lot of grace and go, I'm going to be trying this and I might not be so good at it <laughs> at the beginning. Right. Right. Like we tell our kids, right? How do we get better at something? We practice
1: it. First of all, whatever you're doing with your kids is working because your house looks immaculate. So good job <laughs> to that. So you sort of have said it, but I'm going to ask the nitty gritty. Are you good at coaching your own kids or is it kind of like that situation where you're a chef and then you come home and your kids are eating like, you know, lean cuisine meals because you're done cooking for the day? Yeah. So I am good at some of it, right? I am with my own kids.
0: I am pretty good at co-regulating with my Kids. Um, I credit a lot of my own therapy and some amazing therapists my kids have had who've done parent coaching with me for a lot of those skills. So I am pretty good at co regulating with them and I am pretty good at nurturing their executive functioning skills, which we can talk about more if you want to dig into that. But what I always have to be working on is not immediately going for the teachable moment. I'm so drained because of my work to always see the teachable moment and I want to like dive in there and be like, no, but this is so cool. Let me show you, right? And stepping back and going, Oftentimes what they need from me because I'm mom is like the hug moment or the I'm just here for you, let it all out moment or whatever, that, but not necessarily the teachable moment. And that's the part that's always a struggle for me.
1: It's so funny you say that because I'm getting in it with my daughter a little bit. And I don't know what made me do this the other day, but she was really just, it was not a good place for the rest to be in. I don't even need to get into all of it, but it, it was just like a hot mess express. And I don't know what made me do this because you know she's like five and I'm kind of getting to be a big girl now. I picked her up and I cradled her really tight like a baby like this and started rocking her in my arms and she calmed down immediately it's like sort of when you take your dog and you turn them upside down and then they're like i have to be quiet or whatever she quieted down immediately her entire demeanor changed and instead of like talking about it too much i just kind of like treated her like a little baby a little bit and she said to me mom that was so nice It it stopped it in its tracks and like cut the tension. And I don't know, I guess it was just a mother's instinct. I just, I've never done that before because I'm not one to let things go.
2: Me neither. Even the teachable moment, like I, my whole life has been, that's how I was raised. Everything was a teachable moment. So I do the same with my son and my husband's always like, hey, you're talking to him like he's an adult. I'm like, okay, well, why wouldn't I talk to him like he's an adult? Like he has that comprehension. Yeah, I don't know what made me do it, but it gave me like an aha
1: moment because I was like, whoa, she really reacted in an extremely visceral way to that and it stopped the momentum that was starting to go out of control. And I was like, there's something to that. I need to look at what that is and how I can figure out other ways to do that with without picking up my like 45 pound child and, and cradling <laughs> her like a, a tiny baby.
0: And I think the thing is it's going to be different for each child, right? What works for one is not as my two kids cannot be more different. Yeah. You know, I have one child whose love language is like, let me read a book on the couch and don't come within six feet of me. And I have one child. child whose love language is, if I could be inside your clothes licking you right now, I would be really happy, (laughs) right? So you can imagine some of the sibling conflict
2: that happens in our I love that. So what advice would you give parents who are navigating the education system? I have two. I have one for all parents, and then I have one for um,
0: parents who are parenting neurodivergent kiddos. For all parents, I would say be on a team with your child's teachers and school administrators. Go into those interactions with the mindset that you all are team for a couple of reasons. Number one, any resources you and the teachers are using for antagonism with each other are resources you don't have for solving the real challenge, which is how do we set this child up to thrive? So I don't want to waste resources on that on either end, mine or the teacher's. Second reason is A lot of times, moms in particular, I notice, go into interactions with teachers or school administrators like you're the junior partner. You are not the junior partner. What are you? What? (laughs) What are you to clarify? So you are an expert in your own child. You know your child best. So you are an equal player on this team. That does not mean that you have to be an expert in everything. We have pediatricians for a reason. We have teachers for a reason, right? We have occupational therapists for a reason because they have expertise in things that we don't. But what we have expertise in is our child. So we want to come to this from this idea that we're all a team, and that means that I am an equally respected member of this team. Now, if you have practitioners in your life, in your child's life, who don't make you feel like you're an equally respected member of this team, that you're somehow a junior member, it's time for somebody new. Mm-hmm. And the thing in a school setting is we are conditioned from our own schooling, right? 12, 15, 20 years of our own schooling to see ourselves in the junior role in that dynamic with a teacher or a school administrator. So we have to do some work often on ourselves to come in there from a place of feeling capable and confident as team members here, right? And there are things sometimes in this setup that like set us up to trigger that conditioning of being the junior partner. You go in for the parent teacher conference, they make you sit in the little kid chair, the principal calls you, you answer the phone. Hi, this is Caitlin. She says, hi, this is Principal Smith. So right, right now I'm Caitlin, she's Principal Smith, right? And we don't necessarily stop and think about these things. They just happen to us. And then we go, but I don't get why. I'm a CEO in the boardroom. I got this covered. Or I'm managing an entire household for my whole family. I got this covered, but I go into my parent-teacher conference like I'm the first grader.
1: Not even to mention whatever like trauma, not to, for lack of a better word, you have from your schooling. So maybe if you were a kid who struggled in school, you're put back in that same role or if you were king of the campus then you're put back in that role maybe in a in not a positive way either so we have all this baggage that we take that's you know inherent from when we were going into school
0: yeah so I would say for any parent of any child that's my number one is go into these interactions like you all are in a team for those reasons um, and then I would say for parents specifically who have neurodivergent kiddos one thing I really love folks to think about is the way that accommodations play out in real life and what do I mean by that I mean if you've had a neuropsych evaluation or similar, gone through a similar process with your child and you get handed a list of like, these are the accommodations we recommend for your child. Well, like accommodation number one, everybody always hear, thinks of is usually like extended time on taking tests, right? But those accommodations can look a lot of different ways. So one might be preferential seating or any number of other things. They look great on paper, but we don't always think about how they play out in the school setting. I'm experiencing that right now. How many times has a teacher said to me, I have 10 preferential seating accommodations and five seats in the front? bro, what am I going to do? Or how many times people go like, oh, my kid gets extended time. This is great. He has double time to complete the test. If it was supposed to take everybody else an hour, he gets two hours. But if we don't teach the kids, how to use their extended time effectively. Now what we've just done is potentially created a focus or a stamina issue for a child whose neurodivergence might already come with focus and stamina challenges. Or if you have a younger kid, here's something I think about sometimes too. Let's say you have pullouts for something, extra support in reading. Your child gets pulled out of class to extra support in reading. But because of scheduling and staffing and resource issues in your school, the only time that reading pullout can happen is during art. Well, art is your child's favorite period of the day. So now your child is disengaged with learning, doesn't want to go to school, and you don't know why. I know why, because he's getting pulled out for reading during art. But we don't always think about how this plays out in real life. And we go, well, this looks like really great on the page. Hooray, we did it. We got what we needed. So that's my biggest tip for when you say it as like navigating the education system. If you're parenting a neurodivergent kiddo, that's a really, really big one.
1: Yeah, I just noticed it. we have like extra time for assignments for kids that are that have special accommodations. But if your kid is already having trouble focusing, then if you extend the deadline of when they can get things done, but don't put in place reminders or other stuff that it's just elongating the problem that they already had. It's like not really doing anything unless you work within those confines to have the child and the the teacher and the parent and the social worker or whatever all work together to like empower the kid to use that
0: time well. A hundred percent and it's interesting that you bring up flexible deadlines because one thing people don't think about with flexible deadlines sounds great. If I need an extension I can just ask I can always have a flexible deadline but teachers don't stop assigning new work while you're flexing the deadline on the previous assignment. And if you're somebody who already has executive functioning challenges, as those assignments start to pile up. worse. Now you've got this mountain that seems impenetrable and you don't know how to break it down into actionable steps for yourself. So we always want to look at accommodations like a flex deadline accommodation as paired with something else that is providing the scaffolding or teaching the skills to be successful with that accommodation.
1: Yeah. So I was just diagnosed this last year as neurodivergent at age, whatever, 40, Four forty-five. 45, whenever I was, can't remember what month it was when I was diagnosed, but right in there. And, you know, I, I the task and I still haven't gotten like the neuropsych full evaluation, but basically they said that I had some semblance of ADHD and I do, at, you can ask Ashley, I struggle with executive function a lot. Ashley's the main person that has to deal with my lack of executive function since we're in a business together. And then some sensory processing stuff. Once I was diagnosed, I then saw some of those characteristics in my child, but granted I only have you know, a four or five-year-old. So I kind of saw it in me before I saw it in her. But I think something that's happening is, you know, back in our day when all of us were growing up, it wasn't diagnosed as much. It just wasn't. And now it's more diagnosed in our kids. And I, I just have to imagine that kids are getting diagnosed. And then when their parents take them to the assessment, they're like, oh, this sounds real familiar to me. How are you seeing that? Are you I'm, Since you work a lot with this population, are you, are you seeing more parents being like, uh, it me too, once their kids
0: have been diagnosed. I mean, I'm pointing to myself right now, like yes, within my work and also in my own family, you mentioned sensory processing, I have sensory processing sensitivities. And when I was growing up, it was like, these were my quirks, right? Like it was funny that like, if the seam went under of my tights, went like under my foot that I had a complete meltdown, right? We didn't, we didn't look at it the same way. And it wasn't until I was an adult and I was working with so many neurodivergent kids that I was like, oh, wait a minute. Like, I'm not sure that this is just like a quirk. Right. I was like
1: hiding under the table. Is it normal? <laughs> kind
0: of so yes, on a personal and a professional level, yes, so much yes to what you just said. It often happens that a child gets a diagnosis and then a parent identifies with certain aspects of that or all the aspects of that and then they pursue their own diagnosis. It also can sometimes be enlightening when you look back at like your whole family tree. So I've worked with moms who are like, oh, huh, like maybe that's why,
1: you know, uncle so-and-so was like super obsessed with trains. Like yeah. never <laughs> thought of that, right? Well, my mother and I have. Have like these, like, this is going to a morbid place, but my mom and I, we have these like issues. Like, if we were in a coma, what would you want us to do? And my mother's like, Do not have anything by my neck, cut it into a v neck, even when I'm in a coma. I cannot have up by my neck. I was like, Lotion my feet, put some chapstick on, do my nails. I can't. And she, we have like our
2: things, and I'm like, And here's where I get it from. <laughs> so, what are some tips on how to get your kid into the school that they and you want them to go to? Ashley and I just went through this personally. Yeah, I just have had to do like a whole portfolio for my son and all of that. It was such an ordeal. I think the first question I always ask folks to think about is
0: often people will come to this process asking, is such and such a good school? Right? Is that a good school? And I say I think our first question has to be is this school the right fit for my child? Just this one child I have in front of me, sibling, might be a different answer. The number one cause of stress, and and this is not the right environment for this kid, and we have to change schools later on, is families who have prioritized something other than is this school the right fit for this child? Uh, be it they wanted a particular brand name of a school, or you know, sometimes
1: it's stuff we have to prioritize, it's logistics. I kid this is the school I can get to and make it to my job on time. Or like both kids need to be in the same school because I can't have them on different schedules or whatever it is. Exactly, exactly.
0: So first question is, is this school a right fit for my child, for this child I have in front of me? Then the next step is how to be an educated consumer of school tours and websites and information that they're going to give you. There is a lot that they will tell you when you're touring a school or reading a school's literature, website, anything like that. But I am always encouraging people to look for like the visual storytelling. So I'll give you a specific example right they can tell you that chess is really really priority here and we have this amazing chess program well if you're in New York City like I am real estate is king if that school has a room dedicated to chess and I see that then I know okay this is really a priority for them they mean that right so that's an example of like the visual storytelling I look like I look for it's just as easy to put math work up on the wall as it is to put artwork as it is to put writing anything so if a school tells me like oh math is so important here like we're all about math and blah blah blah, but I'm only seeing art on the walls. I'm wondering, is that really, is that lip service or is that really true? I'm also, when I say visual storytelling, I'm looking for things that give me clues to a school's approach to social emotional learning and discipline and all these things that are really important in my family with our family values. So like if I go into a classroom and I see one of those behavior charts on the wall that has like, you know, you're in the red, the yellow, or the green zone, and every kid has like a little clip with their name on it and teachers moving it up and down. I'm not, I'm not starting with that because that's public shaming in the name of classroom management. And we have a lot of research on how our kids can't, Learn their learning shuts down once shame is activated. So these are the things I mean when I say I teach people to look for like what are what's the visual storytelling here in, in addition to what I'm being told verbally because very easy on a tour to say oh we do this and we prioritize that and whatever but what are you actually seeing? And then I would say if you're applying to a private school or a screened school where the parents have a written statement like a little essay you write about your kids and about yourselves, they wish that they could like hang out in your house for a couple of days that they could go see your kid in their preschool or previous school for a couple of days that they could see them on the playground. They want that holistic view. They can't. It's not possible for them. So this is your opportunity to help give them sort of a whole picture of who your child is. And instead of framing it as like, oh God, I have to write this thing and they're judging me and they're looking for reasons not to take me. I look at it as how often does somebody just sit down next to you and go, could you just spend the next 20 minutes telling me everything that's awesome about your kid? Because that's what this is. And I'm like, let's do that. Let's tell them everything that's awesome about your kid. Here's your chance. So I think just that mindset shift can help us approach it a little bit less anxiously.
1: Well, it's coming from a place of power. Similar to you you said you're not junior assistant. You're coming from a place of having enough and being in place of power. Power sounds like a weird, but you know what I mean? Like in a place of- Control, and and, yeah.
2: yeah. And that's why I asked earlier when you said like you're not the junior assistant, and I was like, what are you? Because i (laughs) was so, I guess I'm not used to feeling that way when it comes to my child in another setting. I don't feel like I am the CEO of this whole situation that's happening here. And I think that kind of like Carrie and I have had so many conversations professionally where we're like we're no longer coming from a certain place, we're only coming from a place of like power or control or whatever, like of being worthy. And it's like, don't apologize for right. for taking up space, you right, know, that exactly. kind of thing. Exactly. And it's the same exact thing with your kid, which who would have thought? I guess you, but I didn't know that. I just recently had a situation where
1: I've started to now in meetings with people that are telling me about my kid, whether it's a teacher, or a, you know, an OT person coming in saying what it is that I want to make sure about, like on the table, like I don't want my child shamed about this. So how can we phrase this? Or like in an assessment being like, my kid already has an issue with perfection. So can we take that languaging out? And can we find a different way to say this? Like instead of just not saying anything and thinking they're the expert, speaking about my child in a way where I'm like, hey, that's an issue for my kid. So let's, let's see if we can find a different way to phrase that or or do that, you know? And I was proud that I, I held my own in that case, being like, no, I know my kid. Absolutely. I
0: mean, and that does not come easily for a lot of people. One of the tips I give is before you're going into a conference or meeting or conversation, think of two or three things that you really want to get addressed in that conversation and keep them. Draw a little note if you need a note, write it on your hand, just keep it in your mind, whatever works for you. But go in knowing that so that you don't wind up in a situation where somebody else controls the agenda and you're needs are not getting met. So you're sort of similarly saying like, I go in there knowing this is the goal I have, or this is the need I need to have met. And if somebody brings something else to the table, great. We'll talk about it, but don't feel pressured that you have to respond to everything they throw at you in that moment. Or agree. You can just be like, thank you for saying that. I'm going to think about that. Exactly. And that's what I say, right? If you go into that parent-teacher conference and you have three things you want to get talked about and the teacher comes to you with something you weren't expecting that's like ratcheting up your anxiety and making you feel like, oh no, something's..." terrible here. Everything (laughs) everywhere is ruined. Just go like, thanks so much for sharing that with me. I'm going to think on it and I'm going to loop back with you. This meeting does not have to be the be all and end all in everything. Thank you. (laughs) Let
1: me validate that for you. Well, because I I talk over everybody. So I'm just like, take a moment to pause. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So we ask all our guests, this is like our favorite question. We ask all our guests this. What is one thing you think parents, mothers, caretakers, what have you, should outsource if they have the means to do so? Tutoring.
0: (laughs) Good Good answer. My
1: answer, I
0: started my career there. Here's why. When we pictured motherhood, none of us ever pictured being homework enforcer. That wasn't part of the fantasy.
2: And it's the worst fucking part. I'm sorry to interrupt, but it is the thing I have complained about on the show for two years since my son has started having homework. Now it's better, but hate it. So
0: especially if you have been working all day or you have been taking care of things for your household and now your child is home from school and you have an hour, two hours, maybe three hours to connect with your child meaningfully, the last thing you want to be doing is enforcing homework, causing stress, your child's crying, you're yelling, everybody's unhappy, right? This is not good for anybody. So if you have the means, and I love Carrie that you phrased it that way, because obviously you have to acknowledge that not everybody's in that position. But if you are in a position to bring in a tutor, your child's relationship with the tutor is going to be completely different around homework than it is with you as a parent. That dynamic is totally different. And then what that does is that frees you up to play the role that only you can play. Tutor can help with homework, but nobody's going to replace you as mom. So that That frees you up to be unconditional support, make those connections, right? Spend that family time together, which is so, so, so much more valuable. So that's it. That's my abs. If I get one, it's tutoring.
1: Guys, when I was 14 years old, my mom got remarried to my stepdad, who is very definitely on the spectrum, but they never diagnosed him. And he became my chemistry tutor. Guys new dad neurodivergent chemistry tutor I'm permanently scarred I can't believe we got past that I can't I would be like I would get my mom still says I should have just hired a different tutor I was like I'm permanently scarred from that experience (laughs) terrible I'm sweating just thinking about it the other thing is like Ashley when
0: you said you know oh this has been a struggle in our house like the homework I'm forcing and I didn't picture that right if I tell you that I have that exact conversation with moms over and over again every week I'm sure yeah I mean this is the conversation and part Part of it comes from a lot of how schools are handling homework is not grounded in the research. It's not evidence-based. Mm. What is the evidence? We have no conclusive research to support a benefit to homework until maybe fourth grade. So if you're in a school that's giving like worksheets that, except for reading, reading is always wonderful. You should be doing reading every day, whether they're reading independently, you're reading aloud, it's an audiobook Reading, it's fundamental. Exactly. <laughs> so other than reading, but like if your kindergartner is coming home with like some kind of skill and drill worksheet where they have to answer like, 10 or 20 problems or whatever about it could be grammar could be math whatever we don't have research to support that so why are the schools doing it <laughs>
1: to have some sort of rubric that they can something I guess which isn't evidence-based but it's like we need to assess and have a rubric and so we're going to put these random things on you know yeah so it comes from a few
0: different places one is if your student teacher ratios are such that the teacher needs for example that reading log to just know who's reading and who's reading what because they've you've got one teacher with 30 kids and they can't track it any other other way. That might be one reason. It could be legacy, right? Like this is how it's always been done. And this is how, so this is how we continue to do. It was good enough for me when I was a kid. So it could be that they're under pressure from parents who don't know the research and the parents are saying, well, if my kid doesn't have homework, then they're not learning or I don't know what's happening in school. So I expect there to be homework, right? Could be a lot of reasons. It's not like, listen, nobody goes into elementary education unless they want to help children. They're not doing it for the money. They're not doing it for the glamour. So it's not like they're going in there going, hmm, what can I do that's not evidence-based and we'll make all these moms' lives really harder. At- <laughs> <laughs> There's a reason there too.
1: How could I really fuck the system and parents? (laughs) I'm an elementary education teacher for the glamour. And then when you look at kids at older
0: ages, a lot of the research we have that does show benefit to homework, it's not really filtered for quality. It's more about quantity. So if a homework assignment is really differentiated for your individual child and your teacher has said, you know, your child is developing this skill and I would really, I think he would really benefit from doing some practice with you at home. That's very different than like, I've got thirty learners in this class, and they're all getting this same worksheet, and I'm done. But we don't have a ton of research that digs into differentiation as a factor or a quality in the homework versus just quantity. Meanwhile, we have a ton of research on things like it's really important that kids get the right amount of sleep. So right. now we have kids staying up
1: late to do homework, and then they're missing the sleep. Or physical exercise, or being outside, or
2: play. We have studies that show that too, yeah. I think about high school, because I went to a private high school and had so much, so much homework. And I think about, it was hours. I got home and I was doing homework from the time I got home till the time I went to bed. I I think about it now, you know, that was so ingrained and such a part of just my education from beginning to end, like homework, as much homework as we can give them. Keep them off the streets. (laughs) Right. Like all I could think is that seems like an unnecessary amount of homework. Like what is it, it, everything that you just said, what are we really trying to accomplish with all this homework other than teaching? kids' responsibility, teaching kids' time management, teaching kids' executive function skills. Right. And, you know, learning short-term gratification versus long-term gratification. Like, I understand all of that, but I really feel like now, holy shit, that was unnecessary, the amount of homework there was. And there are also really way more
0: effective ways to teach your kid executive functioning skills, especially we're talking about our littler kids, than a skill and drill worksheet. Yeah. I mean, we would have to have like a whole other hour to talk to go through what all those are. Right. But That's one of the common misconceptions. That's one of, when I say like, there's always a reason they're assigning it, they're not doing it to be difficult. That's one of the common ones is that we're teaching executive functioning this way or we're teaching them to get into the habit or the routine of it so that they can do it later. I had a conversation with a teacher, what was in a presentation where this teacher was going like, here are all the things that we do this year so that they're ready for the expectations of next year. And at the end of the presentation, I went, and she knew me, so she knew where I was coming from, but I went, so before we spend an entire year getting them ready for the expectations of next, year, have we stopped to ask whether we value the expectations of next year? Right. Or also,
2: how about living in the moment? How about
1: getting them ready for this year?
2: And what about, like, extracurriculars? You know, like, there's so many different things, like, things that actually nourish them. Maybe you have a kid who loves soccer, and soccer is the thing they look forward to all week, every week. They, You know, how do they balance all of those things? It's So
0: this goes right back to the strengths-based approach. Because what if the thing that your child is really strong at, in your example, soccer, is not Something that is going to show up on a worksheet at home as homework from school. But how then could we use soccer to teach those executive functioning skills? We're going to be so much more successful than if we're trying to teach them through this worksheet that's not evidence based in the first place.
1: Yeah, through something they care about already, intrinsically. You don't have to force them to care about it; they already do.
2: To your point, I just started Sebastian in speech therapy. He's been at it for three weeks now, and uh, you know, it's something that's been kind of overdue. And I've just been putting off for multiple reasons and now he wants to be there like he enjoys the class he is has wanted to take it and it is not a fight to get him to go it and he and they play games and it's like an enjoyable half hour for him twice a week all I could think is the parents whose kids don't want to be in this class or had I done this at four when they wanted me to start doing it for Sebastian and he wasn't interested in it I'm just very grateful it's the situation it is because like you're saying You know, I think if that is something that a kid is into, it makes it so much easier for everybody, but most importantly, the child. There's a reason my company is called Joyfully Learning. Yeah. Like
0: kids learn best when they're having fun. Absolutely. It sounds like a no brainer, but it is not what's happening in a lot of
2: our learning spaces. It sounds like absolute common sense, (laughs) but also think about all of us who did not grow up with an educational system that really prioritized us and the things that made us joyful and happy. Caitlin, this has been a real joy. And I got to tell you, I kind of went into this interview not really knowing, kind of being like, I don't know what we're doing, but this sounds interesting. And I feel like I learned so much. Thank you. I think this was like really great and something that parents like me wouldn't know. I mean, Carrie's in the education system now and neurodivergent. I I don't have either of those things. So this is all like very new to me. And I really appreciate it because I learned a lot. So thank you. I'm so glad. Plug yourself, plug your books, plug everything. This is your time to just shamelessly plug away. All right, so if
0: you're looking for the tutoring and educational consulting side of what we do, you'll find us at joyfullylearning.com. I always think of conversations like this as the beginning of a conversation, not the end of one. So the easiest place to find me to continue that conversation is on Instagram. I'm at Caitlin Greer Try to keep it simple, just my name. And it's really me handling all the DMs and everything. So if you're looking to talk to me after hearing this, that's the place to find me. And then I do workshops for parents groups and professional development for schools. And that's on how do we take a strengths-based approach to learning? How do we make our classroom more neurodiversity affirming or our home more neurodiversity affirming and nurturing executive functioning skills. And we didn't really get into this, but what's really fascinating is that there's a direct connection between our kids' executive functioning skills and our invisible labor or cognitive load as moms. The more we nurture our kids' executive functioning skills, the less invisible labor and lower our cognitive load becomes. So those workshops for parents' groups and like how do we work on our kids' executive functioning skills are actually also very much about and how do we get better supports for ourselves in terms of our invisible labor and cognitive load. So reach out to me through the website or through Instagram if a workshop makes sense for you or you want to bring PD into your school. I am, I love what I do. I could talk about this all day.
1: Well, thank you so much. I need to like come squish on you when I'm back in Brooklyn, you know, as soon as when I'm done my grad school and Luna's still in school, I'm gonna take some trips into Brooklyn and we'll have to have lunch. I really miss you.
2: So for segment two, oops, wrong script. For segment two, we're talking about this article from littlethings.com about, it's called Woman Refuses to Donate PTO Days to Pregnant Coworker. So essentially this um, single, let me not say single, she does not have children. We know that. Uh, A woman who works in an office and does not have children went on to Reddit and told this story. She explained, right, yes, yes, exactly. Or zero. Um, right. So she explained saying that she works for a telecom company that doesn't do much in supporting women after they become mothers. They don't provide right. They don't provide paid maternity leave, but fundraises raises in quotes whenever a pregnant woman needs time off. So horrible, horrible. We all get two weeks of vacation, five, six, sorry, let me start that part over. We all get two weeks of vacation, five sick days and three PTO days, but my pregnant coworker used up some of it already, she wrote. But the strange part is that giving up their own days wasn't something that people seemed to decide on their own. The boss asked everyone to donate and people actually obliged the request, which is really weird. So did they actually want to give up their days or were they just falling in line with the boss's request? We don't know. I know. I know. Just wait. Let me get through it and then we'll we'll go into it. According to the poster, most people acted as though they were totally fine with losing their vacation time. So I used up, this is according to her, I used up a week of vacation and PTO days already and I'm leaving in July to visit family and booked a full week, nine days if you count the weekends. My co-workers are pressuring me to give up my vacation days since they feel like I don't need them being single without kids, but I already bought my plane ticket. I also don't really know the pregnant lady and don't feel like my response responsibility is uh, 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 and don't feel like it's my responsibility when the boss could just give her the days well i don't understand what w-i-b-t-a means do you know what that means okay okay um, so what do you think about this? I think that company is fucking cheap as hell. And yeah. And
1: the problem is that no other country would do this. Right. This comes from our country not having enough. I mean, we've talked about it a million times on this show, sort of. But this country does not have good. Maternal leave. Maternal leave. Health care,
2: you know, uh, that you could really go even on. Even taking care. There's that leave of taking care of your elders, whatever yes. that is. We don't have that. Some people do have. Have that. Like, Matt works for a great company that does have a lot of these different things. But, like, we go to another first world
1: country and they right. are doing a whole situation. They have, you know, as in France, they like
2: do your laundry for you. Yeah. I think in France, you get in. like a whole year off or something. Yeah, and yeah. then in like Korea, they're like, um, there's like wellness almost like hospitals. Yeah, yeah. like this
1: place where you go and someone else takes care of your kids so you can feel better. Yeah. Yeah. For like
2: six weeks, I think you're there while they have a hotel. You take care. Of your baby? Yeah. Postpartum hotel. Yeah. Yeah. Aside from that, I feel like. No, you earned that time. Yeah, absolutely. When you
1: signed the contract with HR that said, I agree to take this job and this is what the job entails. And on this contract that I'm signing, it says that I will be paid for these amount and it will roll over to next year or I won't. I have to use the days or I get paid more money if I don't use the days or whatever the agreement is with you and your company. That's the agreement. You sign it. Yep. It's done. Yep. It's not like you throw a baby shower and you ask everyone to give fifty a $50 Amazon gift card. No. It's a part of a contract. When you signed your contract, there should be no going back on the contract. I mean, you and I talk about this all the time because we've had a lot of people trying to go back on contracts. So many contracts. Yes. So many contracts. It's like you sign a contract, Why do we have contracts if not to uphold them? It says nothing in the contract about donating your PTO. If you
2: do that, if it's even allowed. Also, there are a lot of situations that wouldn't be allowed. Like if somebody's parent got cancer or somebody's spouse got cancer and they needed to like spend a lot of time in the hospital, would a corporation allow it then? Would they allow it with the same company? Of course it should. Right. But would they? And that's the thing.
1: For instance, this is, I'm going, I'm going someplace that, it doesn't really match. But I used to work at the Park Slope Co-op, which is notorious for being a dick.
2: The, like, grocery co-op? Grocery co-op. Is that, like, the one the Broad City one is based off Correct. Of? Okay. I got kicked out of it. So did they. Yeah. I was watching that episode the other day. Yeah, it is,
1: it is notoriously... It's, like, the oldest co-op or whatever, and it's notoriously they're dicks. They're straight-up yeah.
2: dicks. With, like, the woman who's breastfeeding at, like, 60 years old. Yes.
1: So if you have a spouse or a lover or whatever, you can't take each other's shifts right. you have to work your own shifts so let's say me and Lee lived in a house together and we wanted to be at the Park Slope Co-op each of us had to work at our shifts and you, I couldn't be like Lee's working a lot this month I'm gonna take his shifts they wouldn't allow it which is crazy Bullshit. because it's like you're getting it for your household or whatever right like what does it matter right if somebody's doing just it are you shifts being covered why do, you, right. why do you care right so like if that's not okay and that's a fucking to get discounts on organic groceries then surely <laughs> it's 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 tricky saying you can share time off. That that's
2: already weird. Okay, not share. Let's be clear. It's not sharing. It's giving up right. your own paid time off to somebody else because the company does not support them. Right. Not I'm only that, that somebody being forced, being pressured yeah. to give up your PTO because your company does not support this. Like, let's just woman. say
1: our company. You and I work for a company, and they have shitty PTO. Right. And you're my bestie, and you're going through something. And I'm like, you know what, girl? I'm not going to go on that trip. I'm going to ask our HR department if I can donate two PTO days to you towards this. Out of the goodness of my heart, because I love you, it's like what I can do. Okay, if that's even allowed. Okay, because I want to do it. But having pressure from like your boss when it's the
2: company's bad, yep. it's their bad. Yep, that would make me just want to quit my job. And the imp, like the implied, well, you're single and you don't have children. I'm sorry, that doesn't matter. That's not the only reason why you need time off, right? Your benefits are your benefits. Like you also work also we're living in a time where like most people need to have multiple jobs to afford to live. Or most
1: like all people. the other
2: times you need paid
1: time off. What if you're going back to school? What if you have an elderly mother who what needs if to get sick out what if get of her sick? house.
2: Yes. What if You get COVID. There's a zillion different situations. And to be the implied, you should do this because you're single is really what I have an issue with more than anything. I think that's completely unfair. We talked about that in another episode about working late and stuff like that and working from home. But we had a different take on that, which is what's interesting. Like, on that, with the whether people should, like, whether it should be on certain people to work later and yada yada. Like, yeah, maybe. Maybe if it's... it's like this. different. Right. It's if, a different, if somebody's yeah. been at the company for a longer time, which is usually like what you would assume because they have a child, blah, 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 blah. They need, or they're at a lower position within the company. Like you gotta pay your dues. This is different. This is what your benefits are for working for this company. Yeah. And the thing is you take a
1: job a lot of times. You take less salary. Yes. For better benefits. Like yes. this isn't about mothers, but so many times mothers will take a job that is less paying, because the flexibility of the benefits or whatever it is. When or more I think health about, insurance or flight, whatever it is, yeah. You pick the job yeah. a lot of times for the benefits. Yeah. So then for them to like switch it up or like I know. force you or like manhandle you to try to change that situation, that's extra shitty.
2: And then it makes her feel bad about being, being childless too. I would be so insulted. I think maybe not necessarily. Maybe she doesn't feel bad. I'm just saying like, what if that woman wanted to have a baby like I had and I was just single and couldn't have it, then I'd feel extra shitty and terrible about myself. Absolutely. But even if she doesn't, even if that's not the case, even if she's just a 24-year-old chick who just like goes to work, does what she wants to do, like pay uses the money to pay her bills and then like enjoys her life outside of her Great. job. Great. I love that for her. I wish I was there. <laughs> Absolutely. She has that right. She doesn't owe anybody anything. So I, I don't know. I read this article. I was so, pissed off (laughs) that that anybody would imply because for many years I you know was the single childless girl in a corporate setting and uh yeah anybody ever asked this nine years of my life yeah had anybody ever asked this of me I would have been like no why is this my in fact they asked me to stay late once a week I found another job like (laughs) I've been like, the I, fuck? No. What? <laughs> no. No. Sorry. Find somebody else That's do like it. being
1: like, I'm going to take your lunch every day. Or I'm going to like, yes. I don't know. It's
2: terrible. And if your boss is pressuring you to do this, then the boss should give up the... the days if it's yeah. so, such a thing for them. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. Absolutely not. I get to d- enjoy my time too. You know what that's like? That's like Oprah asking people to give money for <laughs> That's exactly what it is. It is exactly like Oprah asking for people to donate to Maui. What not you And then be like, I just, I don't have enough to donate right now. <laughs> Why don't you donate some of your Maui land then? Sorry. Of I, just, I don't have it in me, but I will ask you to. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. Uh, Alright, well, what do you guys think? Let us know. Send us an email at hello at momtrajpodcast.com or slip into our DMs. Slip, slide, both. Slide, slide. Slippity, slippity slide. slide.
1: All right. Hashtag, Hashtag swag. swag bag. Okay, so this week's Hashtag swag bag for both me and Ashley, but separate, separate things is the company Ever Eden. They're like the skincare brand for kids. They started off for kids, but they have a whole line for um, adults as well. Ashley got their like starter bath line with like shampoo and body wash and conditioner for kids. I have a little boy I'm trying to teach to be clean. Oh, it's so good. The packaging is amazing. So good. She has eczema really, really bad on her cheeks. They're eczema cream. Guys, I have more to talk about with them. But their eczema cream, by far, is so one of the best eczema creams I have huh. ever tried. For
2: you, too? Because I have yes. eczema.
1: Yes. it is. Oh. Doesn't, almost every eczema cream that I try on Luna's poor little cheeks, she says burns. Mm. And I'm always, like, fighting wiping it off or just being like, just leave it for a second until it And An aquaphor doesn't work, in. I'm assuming. No. This has no smell. It's thick. It's got that, like, white. It doesn't leave a white cast, but it's got that good, like, white, like, um. That like zinky vibe. Yeah, like that skin uh, barrier kind of feeling. Yeah. And it does not burn her at Mm. all. And it's been getting that like weird scale slowly off her cheeks. Like I can see the scale getting into smaller patches. Oh, that's good. It is chef's kiss. And then they generously gifted us some like makeup, some organic makeup for kids, like a a face crayon. So cute. Some lip gloss, a cute bedazzled look little mask thing Luna must love all the makeup and stuff oh my god she's loving it and I of course before I gave you the bath stuff I sniffed it Smells so good. It smells so good. So try out Ever Eden. The packaging is cute. They have this wonderful line of adult products, uh especially like I didn't even use any of the after baby stuff because I'm far enough after baby. Yeah. But I wish that that stuff was around when I had I the baby. It's amazing. So try Ever Eden. So fantastic. So thank you, Ever Eden, guys. You got to take a look. All right,
2: everyone. Have a great week. Happy end of February. And we okay, love you. that's Bye. our show today, Bye. folks. Thank.